welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. All right, hey guys, it's good to be back. Good to see you guys. We're back here. It's been, what, six weeks? Something like that. It feels like it was longer than that. But if you notice, um, it's really bright back there. <laughs> they replaced those bulbs. They replaced the house lights here. We got, is Courtney in here? Courtney's not in here, is she? Okay, yeah. They've replaced these curtains. Well, they're like blackout curtains. So they did stuff up here. They did a bunch of upgrades on the auditorium, but your seats still have expletives on them and other things, so sorry about that. <laughs> but you guys are all reading the seats now. Um, there's like ACDC in the seats and, and different things. Uh, but it's good to be back. Uh, you guys know, as a church, our heart is in St. Jamestown. We're at Rosedale for the past six weeks, and uh, just God has called us here. God has placed us here, and uh, we have a worship service here on Sunday, but throughout the week, we are engaging in this, in this community. We're praying towards this community. As Adam mentioned, we have the space in the community now, the new common, which we're going to start pouring a lot of our efforts into, and we're, it's, we're just super excited. Um, the past 10 days, Missy Sath, right there with his hand in the air, um, and I, we're in the West Bank. And so we, it feels like we've been gone forever. It's felt like more like three months. I don't know. I feel like we were gone for a long time. So uh, to be honest with you this morning, I'm a, little, I'm a little conflicted because we're in this awesome series in the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about, we're going to talk about You're Reconciled today, which I may talk about. But I'm like... There's so much that happened over the past 10 days with where our church is going and what, what God is doing that, I don't know, we may just talk about that for the whole time. We shall see. <laughs> we'll see where the Spirit leads. And we may do both uh, because, uh, actually, so we were, let me give you a little picture of the West Bank. Oh, and before I go into that, just let you guys know, um, the old people that have been hanging around us for the past few weeks, those are my parents. Uh, <laughs> well, and Archie. So, like, but we can't get rid of, we can't get rid of Archie. <laughs> so, I don't know why every time I have to do that, but, uh, uh, yeah, so my parents are back there. Um, this is, I was thinking about this as I was praying over the church this morning, praying over you guys this morning, thinking about my parents, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for them. Uh, and uh, so I'm really happy they're here. I'm really grateful for just all they've done, uh, you know, from a distance, uh, poured into our church through Missy and I, through uh, some of you guys. Um, and I mean, they're praying for us consistently and regularly. And they were they they give money to us. They yeah they've been supporting us since before day one. So. Uh, they'll be here for like another month, so get used, get used to that. <laughs> yeah. um, take them out to dinner and <laughs> get them out of my house for some, some time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
My mom's shaking her head. So is my wife. Okay. So, uh, just to give you a little idea of the West Bank. So, Seth is actually going to release a blog post this week, I believe, on why the West Bank. Like, why, we're, why we even went there, why we're thinking about it, why, or why we're going to keep on going there. What, what is the point of our global engagement there? So look out for that this week. I'm not going to talk about that as much today. Uh, but just to give you a little idea for when I say the West Bank, to tell you what I mean by that in case, in case you're wondering. Um, there's the Holy Land, and the West Bank is the part that's Palestine. Uh, it's west of the Jordan River. The Jordan River separates the Holy Land from the nation of Jordan. And Israel is here, Palestine is this West Bank, and there's the Gaza Strip. Those are the Palestinian uh, areas. And, and then there's, there's Israel. And Jerusalem, there's West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem. East is the, um, the Muslim, and Muslim and Arab kind of area, and then West Jerusalem belongs to Israel. So... Um, we were in the West Bank the entire trip. We were in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not in Israel. It's in the West Bank. And, and the distinction is, well, there's a lot of distinctions. Now, we won't get into to all of that, but um, you, have to go pat, you have to go through a checkpoint to get into the West Bank. There's like, I don't know, what are there 200, 300 checkpoints all throughout the West Bank that are Israeli controlled. So, we're in Bethlehem the whole, the whole time. There's a, there's a distinct visual, physical difference in the land, and you can see it between the West Bank and Israel. Israel looks like Oakville. The West Bank looks like the opposite of Oakville. Um, uh, is that Hamilton? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're from Hamilton, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, never actually really been to Hamilton, so we were there one time. Uh, so there's, there's a distinct visual difference, but I was telling Angie this morning, and in our first blog post, I also said this, there is a, I haven't figured out my whole theology of space and place yet, but there's a distinct, I, I, I don't know how to say it, uh, there's just, the presence of God is uniquely in the Holy Land, and it's palpable, and, and, you, and, and you feel like there's something about this place. And, uh, and you may say, well, isn't, God, isn't God's presence everywhere? It's not confined by anything, and yes, yes, that's true. God, God is here with us where the church is. God is with us in our small groups. God is with you at work, those, those things. But when you look through the scriptures, you can see a distinction where God's glory and presence has rested. And for generations, when people come al along to those places, they feel it. And there's only a few places in the world where God's, what, what the Hebrew word is Shekinah, his Shekinah glory has, has, has come down and rested. And we think of Israel leaving Egypt. They went through the land, and God's glory carved out this path for them all the way to the land. And then it rested there in the temple uh, with the Ark of the Covenant. And, and then Jesus, he chose Bethlehem to first put down his feet. And when, you, and when we're in Bethlehem, there's just something amazing about it. I don't know. It's just, it's just like Jesus chose, out of everywhere in the world, 
He didn't choose the Amazon. He didn't choose uh, Canada or the U.S. or Europe or China. He chose to put his feet down in Bethlehem first, to be incarnated into the flesh there. And there's just something special about that. We don't have to quantify it. We don't have to qualify it that much more. Like, there's just something special about it. And, and so we're, we just sense that while we're there. So we, we um, this was, this was uh, I and mean, we were exhausted. Um, we got back last night at 5 p.m. and stayed up. We stayed up. I don't know how late you stayed up, Seth. We stayed up till like 9 p.m. and then crashed until like 7 this morning. Uh, so I feel good now. We'll see how I feel at like <laughs> 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. But uh, the trip was, the trip itself, we were kind of, it was just go, go, go. This wasn't, and, and I say this because when we do trips in the future, it's going to be like this. It's not a vacation for us. We're there to build relationships. We're there to network. We're there to work. We're there to, to bless people. Um, and, and we're also there to, to, to learn and to be educated. And, and we, so we did some, some, uh, touring around, like we did Jerusalem one day, and then we did Nazareth and Sea of Galilee and, and that area. And <laughs> we were, so this is really cool going into this because uh, we're preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we went to, to the mount where Jesus preached this sermon, and it's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And there's this kind of little, I don't know, empathy, I don't know if empathy, like little tiny stone seating, and all, this big group of, this big tour group was sitting there, and they look like they're just like waiting for their guide. So they're just like, you know, waiting around for their pastor or their guide. And Missy's like, hey, she's like, go over there and act like you're preaching to them, and Seth will take a picture of you. <laughs> and I'm like, let's do this. So I, <laughs> I just go and I stand in front of this group, and they're just looking at me like, what is this guy doing? One older lady, she just starts cracking up because she knows like what I'm doing. And Seth is over here taking the picture, uh, <laughs> and I'm just acting like I'm preaching to them. But you can see there's a Sea of Galilee in the background. They've built a church all around this this area. They've beautified it, like put it in this marble and all this stuff. Um, but it was really cool that we're in this series that we were we were there. Um, yeah, you can take that. <laughs> you can take that off now. Uh, and, uh, like I said, I feel conflicted. I feel like there's so much I want to share. I really wanted Seth and Missy to share with you guys, but all they did was watch movies on the plane yesterday, so they're not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, we all did. Traveling with Seth is really awesome, actually. Um, you know, I think I was, we were telling our BLG this before we left, like Missy and I, when we sit on the plane uh, and watch movies together, we like to sync the movies so that we can laugh together, we can cry together, we, we can watch them at the same time. And uh, Seth liked to do that too. So <laughs> all three of us had like synced movies and, and it was really fun. Um, so, so, okay, I'm going to get to the You Are Reconciled in the Sermon on the Mount. But the whole thing about the land is, and this is my second time to Bethlehem, this is my second time to the Holy Land. And Guys, this is going to change our church. This is going to change the way we do things here. Um, and we're taking a lot of how we engage St. Jamestown and taking it to the West Bank through domain engagement and things like that. Um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you, if you go on one of these trips, it's going to change you theologically. It just is. 
It's going to change you uh, culturally. You're going to understand culture differently. Uh, and it's going to change your view of history. Because living here where we live, um, we've heard one, maybe two narratives of what's been happening in that land. Well, there's hundreds of narratives. There's like, it's, this is the most complicated area in the world. It's, there, there's so much going on here. It's so nuanced. It's so multifaceted. And just in two trips, I feel like I've, I've had a complete education. I feel like I know nothing uh, yet. So we're going to do this together. We're going to learn this together. We're going we're gonna, to um, kind of go on this journey together. And it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really exciting. The good thing is, the awesome thing is, as we're, as we're building relationships, and I was telling somebody this morning, I think it was David uh, and James, that it was just really easy for us. Um, building relationships. It was, I mean, we had prayed for God's favor to go before us, but to actually see God put people in our path that we just built relationships with was just so amazing. Like, people were already, already saying, stay with me when you come back. Stay with us. Um, uh, there's, there's some things that if we had a team of people there, I wouldn't have done with you guys <laughs> for safety reasons, but since it was just Missy and Seth, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Um, and, uh, and it was just amazing, the hospitality of people welcoming, welcoming us in uh, and, and seeing a whole other side of the story. Uh, this land, the, the West Bank, is, is oppressed, it's occupied, it's, um, uh, there's, there's a tremendous amount of persecution that goes there. I'm not going to explain all that right now. When we think persecution, you're probably thinking something different than what I'm saying, but I'm not going to explain all that right now, but there is a tremendous amount of persecution there. Um, there's just, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about this forever, and, and now, like, we're running out of time. Uh, but as I was praying about all this, coming back, I, a couple things that God put on my heart for us, for you, for our church. And have you ever had... Has the Lord ever given you a feeling? Now, like, I, like, you know people where God gives them an image, and they're like, oh, I see this for you, or you know, like you have a word from the Lord where God gave me this scripture for you, and this, is, and this speaks directly to your situation, or you have a word of knowledge, or, or a prophetic word, or a word of wisdom for somebody. Uh, but as I was praying for you guys, God really gave me this feeling. And there's only like a handful of times where, where I can point to in my life where I had, like, a feeling from the Lord. Um, and, like, like, where it overwhelmed me. And whenever this has happened, it's been, it has overwhelmed me. Like, I'm, like, I'm either really, really happy or I'm sobbing or something like that. And as I was praying over, over this and, and for you guys, uh, the feeling that God gave me, and, and hear me out on this before you judge me on this, <laughs> Uh, before you jump to a conclusion on this, is that God has given, okay, I don't, I don't want to offend you in this, so just follow me here. God has given you, has stewarded you, uh, to, to say to me is, is not, probably not the, the, right, the right way, the right thing, because we, we lead as a team here, but at the same time, 
I felt like it was very personal to me since I was, since I was praying this over our church. But God has given you to me as, as my children. And that sounds weird, okay? Follow me here. When I look at my, my daughters, and, and this is where it came off of. I was praying over this, and I was like, man, I want, I was praying to God, I said, I want my daughters, I want to release them into the world. I want, I want them to know that their world right now is not all there is in this world. I want the worldview to be huge. I want, I want them to have the best. I want them to, and when I say the best, I don't mean the best things. I don't mean the most money. I don't mean the best jobs. I mean, I want them to be empowered in their gifts. And I want them to, to, um, to know that, this is a quote from the alchemist, that at any point in their lives, they're capable of doing what they dream of doing. And, that, and those dreams come from God. And, and if God tells us to do something, and like, I want them to know they can step out in faith in anything that they do and anywhere that they go. And I don't want to hold them back from that. I don't want to keep them to us. Like we're raising them to release them. And I want them to say, if God wants them to live in Palestine for the rest of their lives, I want them to say yes to that. And not us to say, oh, it's dangerous there. Oh, I don't know about that. Or I don't, like, we would miss you too much. I want, I want to empower them uh, as followers of Jesus to do whatever. I don't want them to be attached to a relationship. I don't want them to be attached to a job or a career or even a dream. I want them to say, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, we want to do that. And so as I was praying that, God said, that's what I've given you in the church. And so when I say, like, I feel like I had this immense feeling like you guys are my kids, that's what I mean. That I want the exact same thing for all of you, for each and every one of you guys. And, and when, when I was praying this and that feeling came over, it's like God flashed every one of your faces before me. And I don't mean like I saw each and every one of you, but like it was like a flip book, you know, like, you know, what, what do you mean? And you know what I mean? Like, and so uh, most of you were blurred out. <laughs> but because uh, um, it just, but the, the feeling was like that's everybody that God's given to the leadership at our church. That, and, and I felt like this overwhelming feeling that, that you guys, like I, like I see my kids, I see you guys. I, I want the best for you guys. How, how many people in your life can you say want that for you? I mean, I don't know if any of you guys want that for me. I mean, I, like, let's just be honest here. Do you think about me that way? You're like, I want the best for Mike. Um, and I don't know if I thought about that or felt that way before this even happened about all of you guys. I, don't, I think it was a huge mentality shift for me where I was like, yeah, of course I want that. I want you guys to succeed in the kingdom in anything, in anything God calls you to do. That's why we're here. And to have that in a church to say, yes, we, we want that for, for you guys, and, and we all want that for each other, and for us to lead out uh, as a leadership team to, to help you guys see that for each other, like, that's the body of Christ. That's the community of faith. That is how we live on mission for Jesus together. And, and, uh, and it was such a, I don't know, it was, it was just such a huge perspective shift for me as I view what God has stewarded us here at Trinity Life Church. And, and here's the thing. We are creatures of attachment. We're just attached to things. 
We're, you're, right now, you're attached to a relationship, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, kids. If you have kids, a lot of you guys are, are attached to your kids. Um, you may not have the same mentality that Missy and I have with releasing your kids. Uh, some of you guys are attached to money, your career, sex, drugs. You're attached to um, Netflix. You're attached to an idea, a desire. You're attached to a sin. You're attached to uh, some idol in your heart. You're attached to, um, you know, a certain lifestyle, a certain home, a certain something, and you know, or you're attached to yourself. Uh, we're creatures of attachment. Now, here's where where a lot of attraction for people is in, in Buddhism is that it's this is a Buddhism is a religion of of unattachment. It's it's detaching. Now, that is almost true. And, and so don't hear me say you're supposed to detach. You're supposed to be a creature of attachment. That's how we've been designed. But your problem is you're attached to the wrong thing. You're supposed to be attached to Jesus, to our Savior. And, and a lot of you guys, you're attached to all these things. You're attached to, a lot of you guys are attached to your circumstances and your struggles. And, and whenever I travel, Whenever I travel internationally, which is a few times a year, um, I always have reverse culture shock when I come here. Like, we drove in this morning, and I was like, ugh, Toronto. <laughs> you know, like, people walking their dogs, and all they care about is their dogs, and, and uh, you know, people jogging in their, like, spandex and stuff, and I'm just like, ugh. Uh, and I love our city. I love Toronto. Um, but I'm like, I'm like, these people are in their own little world and they have no idea what's, what's happening. And I don't want us to be that way. As a community of faith, we're not supposed to be in our own little world, but we're so attached to these little things. We're so attached to our own struggles. And I'm not minimizing your struggles this morning. I'm maximizing your Savior this morning. Your struggles are real. And, and we want to pastor you through this, but we want to always point you to Jesus and to say, He overcame all that for you. And when we're in the West Bank, I was like, man, Jesus was here. He was crucified here and here and here. <laughs> this is the thing when you're in the Holy Land. There's like three spots for everything. There's like, <laughs> Jesus was born here according to this church. He was born here according to this church. Yeah. Um, you're like, I want to see Jesus too. And they're like, which one? <laughs> like, what? Um, but the thing is, it was around there somewhere. Like, that's all, that's all I care about. Like, it happened here. We believe it happened here somewhere. I'm not attached to this spot. I'm saying, yes, it happened here, and we we're going to celebrate Jesus. And, and when we were there, I was saying, oh, what else, what else even matters in life? What else even, what else even matters that, uh, except uh, unless we're living on mission for Jesus? And nothing matters unless we see it through the lens of Christ. And, and I want us to get there as a church. I want you to get there as individuals. I want us to get there as a community. We can only get there as a community if we're doing it together. Um, and, okay, uh, and, and I'm going to segue right now into this. Because this is a land that is, it's so like, there's just no reconciliation. And it's so broken. It's, like I said earlier, this is the most complicated area in the world. And there's so much fear. And 
And I, again, I don't want to minimize the fear because when you look at the history of certain peoples in that land, apart from Jesus, they have a right to be fearful because of all the things that have happened. Uh, but a lot of times that fear is used wrongly. It's used to exploit. It's used to oppress. It's used to, as an excuse to, to say we deserve something and, and et cetera, et cetera. I know I'm speaking generalities. I know I'm speaking a little obscurely and abstractly, but this goes online, so I'm not, I'm not going to point out. And, and our job isn't to point out people. Our job is to be peacemakers. Our job is to reconcile. Our job is to build bridges. Our job is to build relationships. Our job is not to choose sides. Our job is not to get involved in geopolitical stuff. Our job is to love people, to love even our enemies. And that's what Jesus speaks about when he speaks about the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about how Jesus is teaching us in, those, in the Beatitudes. He's teaching us how, uh, just how to act, how we're supposed to be. And he's showing us salt and light, and, and, and he's... he's teaching us like, what we're supposed to do as, as people. And then, he, then Adam preached last week on you are fulfilled. So you are blessed, you are valuable, you are fulfilled. And he's, he's showing us how we should think. And, and now we're in this passage where, where Jesus starts talking about anger. And before we jump in there, he says this in verse 20, which we don't have on the screen, but I'm going to read to you. He says in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, you, and, and the people sitting there, you can see them saying, Jesus, that's impossible. Like, we'll never look like the scribes and Pharisees. They're the most pious, most righteous, uh, outwardly righteous uh, people, and we can never be like them. And Jesus is saying, you're right. You will never exceed what they look like as righteous. And that's not the point. The point is not outward righteousness, but inner righteousness that comes from me. And the Pharisees were good at, at projecting something. We're good. We're good at doing that. We're good at putting on a face. We're good at projecting out uh, how, how good we are. Just look at other people's Facebook accounts, Instagram. Everyone looks like they have the best life ever. Uh, no one's posting the, the times when they're arguing with their wife on, on Facebook. It's uh, like, hey, honey, wait a second. Like, yell at me and, psh, yeah, Instagram, yeah. <laughs> Missy's yelling at me again. Uh, <laughs> it'd actually be the other way around. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it, everyone looks like they have the great, this, this great life, and, and, and Jesus is saying, this is about the inside. This is about me, me doing something in you. And he says this impossible statement, and he's pointing to himself when he says this. And then he goes into examples. So it's like Jesus gave, it's like the, our first three sermons were Jesus' introduction to his Sermon on the Mount. So he's setting us up for something, and then he goes into illustration. He hits anger, lust, divorce, oaths, uh, loving your enemies, retaliation, uh, and he goes into all that. Those are like illustrations, guys. They're examples. Jesus is not setting up a new law. Okay? I want to make that clear this morning. Jesus isn't setting up a new law. Okay? A lot of times we read these passages and we think, oh, well, now this is our, uh, we were very legalistic on it. And this is our new law that we have to abide by and we have to follow. Jesus isn't doing that. He's giving examples that, and he's showing us a path that we're supposed to extrapolate into all areas of our lives. He's expanding our understanding. And he's saying, um, well, we'll get into that in a second, but, 
But he's, he's showing us that there's a new way. And, I, and he's like, I'm the way. And he's like clearing the path. And so he deals with certain things like anger in this passage, which is a big thing for a lot of people. And then he deals with lust, which is a big thing for a lot of people. But just to be clear again, he's not setting up a new law. He said he came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So last week, you are fulfilled in Christ Jesus because he fulfilled the law. Okay? So he's not now saying, okay, now add this onto it. He's saying, no, no, no. Remember, you are fulfilled. Now, we'll go into, you are reconciled. And, how, what, and what does that mean for us? In this passage, especially in your, in your Bible, in your, if you're reading through, through your Bible, it has subtitles, and they're supposed to help us. Those subtitles are not inspired. So, <laughs> so they're supposed to help us, but sometimes they, they kind of box our, our understanding of the Scriptures in. So this passage, I don't think, is about anger, although your subtitle will say anger. Um, I, say, I think it's about reconciliation, and I think Jesus thinks that too. So we're going to walk through this really quickly, and, and he starts off with saying, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to, to judgment. So he has six examples, illustrations that we'll walk through over the next six weeks that he gives on this, and he says, You've heard that it was said, so he's pointing out the Pharisees, they say this, but I'm showing you a better way. I'm showing you a new way. And the Pharisees are very legalistic. They're very, uh, they're very, um, like, don't do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this. And most of us, because of that, we have a negative view of the law. Well, the law in Hebrew simply means God's instruction. It's like God's giving us instructions on how to live life. Right? Have you ever put together Ikea furniture? How many of you guys are in here are like, oh, we don't need these instructions, and then an hour later you're like, I need those instructions. I, I, I totally missed something here. Uh, God's giving us instruction. We do that a lot. We're like, oh, we don't need God's instructions. We can figure out how to live this life on our own. No, God is, God is in his grace and his mercy is giving us instruction. Jesus fulfills all that instruction for us, and he shows us how to live this. And the Pharisees are saying something, and Jesus says, you've heard this, but that's not the point. It's not about the law. It's the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. And he says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's what the Pharisees say. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the council. And you see this escalation here. So, Judgment is kind of referring to the, the local court system. So they'll be liable to the local courts. Whoever insults his brother, be liable to the council, the Sanhedrin. This is like the Supreme Court. And then he goes on, he says, whoever says you fool, be liable to the hell of fire. And that, that sounds really strong to us. Because we think, like this, we, we think hell here in terms of eternal damnation and that may be implied but jesus is actually referring to the death penalty here in that society um, they had this spot called gehenna which you may have heard that word before um, which is sometimes referred to as hell but there's an actual physical spot with the gates to gehenna in um, outside of jerusalem where they would throw people in the fire and and all that so jesus is referring to that and and so he's, he's saying like so there's this escalation here and, and why, is, why is Jesus so harsh here? Why is he so serious? This is, this is really, this seems really harsh. He's like, you, you would think Jesus would say, you know, if you heard, if you murder someone, you'd be allowed to judge them. But I say, ah, grace, 
and peace assures. No, he's, he actually, it seems harsher, right? He's like, no, even because look here, the Pharisees, they're talking about an external act, murder. Jesus says it doesn't start with an external act. It starts with an internal problem, an internal desire, anger. He says your root cause is, is anger. It's not the external act. And he says, so with your anger, you'll be liable to these things. And get this, he says, he says your brother. Those are key words. Anyone who is angry with his brother. Jesus is saying, you're, you're angry with those you're supposed to love. Like, if you can't love and be reconciled to those who are supposed to be in your family, the fa- your immediate family, the family of God, those who follow God, Jesus is talking about here, all those who follow God, all those who follow him, then how can you be recon- uh, agents of reconciliation to the world if you can't even do it here with your family? He says, you guys are just, you're, you're angry with your brother, and he says, you're putting yourself in risk of judgment. And he gives three examples here, or two examples that I'm going to pull out three things from. But he says in verses 23 and following, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave and go make it right. And then he says, do it quickly in verse 25. In verse 26, he's, he says something that I'm going to touch on as well. And Jesus is highlighting our need for reconciliation, the importance of it, the the He's basically saying, if, if we can't be reconciled to our brother, how can we do this outside of this, outside of the world? And <clears throat> Jesus has just finished saying, remember, that we're to be peacemakers. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to be meek. We're to be, uh, we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And some of you, some of you in here this morning are experiencing a rift with somebody because you don't look like that. Because you don't look meek, you're not poor in spirit, you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're hungering and thirsting for revenge. And in, in your family, in the community of faith, you have rifts with people, you have grudges, you have um, broken relationships because of this root of, of anger. And, and Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so I get it. Sometimes you've, you may have done everything you can to repair the rift in relationship, and the other person just does not reciprocate. But I'm not talking about a rift in relationship as much as I'm talking about a rift in your heart. Because the relationship even for some of us, the relationship looks good on the outside, but we still have something in our heart that says, I don't know, that person wronged me. I don't know, they, sinned, they, they did something against me, and I still have this scar on my heart that, that I remember every time they say this little thing. Uh, and, and some of us, and in the community of faith too, some of us are like, oh, well, I'm just not going to hang out with them. I'm just going to cut them off. They're just going to be dead to me. They're just going to be over here. I'm going to be over here. They can do their thing. I'm going to do my thing. That's, that, may, that may be peacekeeping, but that's not peacemaking. That's like saying, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just going to 
separate myself. That does nothing in your heart that looks externally peaceful, but there's still something in your heart deep down that is a rift that Jesus is saying is not indicative of a citizen of the kingdom of God. He says that needs to be repaired, and it can only be repaired in me. And then he gives us these things on reconciliation. Let me give you these three real quick on reconciliation, these three characteristics. One, reconciliation requires priority. He says here in chapter, or sorry, verse 23, that even if you go to worship Jesus, even if you go to worship God, he says, and you have a rift with somebody, leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled, and then come back. Why does he say that? Because your anger clouds everything. Your anger clouds your judgment. Your anger clouds every sphere of your life. And he says, go make it right. Make it a priority. So this morning, if you have a riff with somebody, um, make it right. It should be your priority. And like Paul says, as much as it depends on you, like do your part. Don't wait them. Don't, don't wait for them to do it. You take initiative and go do it. That's what a follower of Jesus does. That's what a, kingdom, uh, of the, a citizen of the kingdom does. Number two, reconciliation requires urgency. He says, come to terms quickly, in verse 25, with your accuser. Do it quickly. Make it, make it speedily. Why? Because, because oftentimes anger becomes a seed of bitterness in our hearts, which turns into roots, which turns into a tree, and that tree produces fruit, and that fruit is evil. And Jesus talks about good trees and bad trees later on in, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and Paul, or no, James talks about how we have this spring inside our, our, our hearts and our souls, and some of our hearts are, are bitter. He says, if that's the case, then what comes out of your mouth is going to be bitter. Number three, reconciliation requires recompense. Guys, this is huge. Sorry is just a word. And you can say sorry all you want, but that's just a word. Jesus says here, you will never get out of it until you've paid the last penny. And that penny was actually, in, in that time, a smaller amount than what a penny is today. It's a very tiny amount. And he says, don't just say you're sorry, basically. Like, make it right. Do something about it. You, you wrong somebody, you make it right. I had this friend in seminary, this girl was, was getting up from her desk, and she threw her bag over her shoulder, knocked his new laptop off, and just broke it. She said, sorry, and then she walked out. And I was like, what? If, if you break someone's something like that, you better make it right. That's the community of faith. That's how we, that's how we reach people. That's how we show the love of Christ as we, we make up for it, we make recompense. We don't just say we're sorry and walk away, we actually make it right. And, and so when we are reconciling, these things are, these three things are really important, priority, urgency, and recompense. And tying this back in the West Bank, we're in an area where there's, there, reconciliation is, it feels like there's no hope for reconciliation sometimes. It feels like and, and talking to a bunch of Palestinians, they're like, we just, we just want hope. If you guys can give us hope, and they say, always say, like, you guys coming here gives us hope. You guys, knowing that you guys are taking our story and our voice back gives us hope because we, we have hope that we're going to be reconciled. We have hope that, 
that God is going to move and he's going to do something. And, <clears throat> and here we are as followers of Jesus, and we're called to be this, but we're so stuck in our own attachments that we're not agents of reconciliation anymore. We're just, we're just attached to, to all of our things. And uh, there's a few passages in the scriptures that I'm going to close with that talk about this. Uh, one is Ephesians 2, and we won't read all of this, but Ephesians 2 talks about how Jesus himself made peace for us, that he, he made peace between us and the Father and, and between each other so that we would be reconciled. And then Colossians 1 says the same thing, that, that Jesus has made this peace for us. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that, as I turn to it, um, <clears throat> hits, kind of brings all this together. So beginning in verse 18, I believe, 17, it says, Therefore, because of all this, because you are reconciled, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. You're someone new now. You're not your old self anymore. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And this is what reconciliation looks like, guys. It looks like not counting their trespasses against them. Too many of us still count people's trespasses against us. You'll never be reconciled that way. You have to swallow your pride. You have to be humble, be Christ, be a peacemaker, be meek. How, how can we be those things if we're, if we're consumed with anger? We're supposed to be meek and poor in spirit. And he says when, when we are, we don't count their trespasses against them. And he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him, God, making his appeal through you and through me, through the church. God's making his appeal through us, through you. And you represent Christ. And how many of us do that very poorly? And he's making, we're, he's making our appeal to, through us. He's chosen that. So Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. If you're reconciled to God, you will be reconciled to others. Our, our biggest problem is we're, we're not, we have yet to fully, completely reconcile to God, which is why we still harbor these things in our hearts. But Jesus has shown us that. And he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so many of us have received the grace of God in vain because we're not living as peacemakers. We're not living as agents of reconciliation, as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors for Christ. And our church is going to be that in our city. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we have the new common. That's why we're here in St. Jamestown. That's why any of this exists, is to be peacemakers in our city, is to be ministers of reconciliation. And we can only be reconciled. We can only be that if we are reconciled. And as followers of Jesus, you are reconciled to the Father, which means you're reconciled with each other. 
And that's the truth you're supposed to live in. So as we close this morning and as we go into communion, I want you to ask the Lord this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, ask God this. Who do I have a rift with this morning in my heart? Who am I not reconciled to? It may be an individual. It may be someone at work, a neighbor, family member. It may be a group of people. It may be the church in general. It may be um, a people group. It may be, I don't know what it is for you. Um, but who do you have a rift against in your heart? And as I pray, as we go to communion, I want you to write that down and give that to God as we pray together. And before you take communion, I want you to give that to God and make it right and make it a priority this week to make it right. Because you're never going to be fully what God wants you to be if you're being held back by something like that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the, the reconciler. You have reconciled us to the Father and to each other. God, just show us how to live in that peace, how to be your agents of reconciliation. And this morning as we take communion, as we celebrate that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us, this beautiful image of reconciliation. I pray that we would take it with a clean conscience, with a pure heart, as we offer up to you our grudges, our bitterness, our resentment, our struggles with reconciliation, and that you would release us from that prison that we've put on ourselves or that we feel like someone else put on us. So Jesus, we lay that at your feet this morning, knowing that you've, you have killed those things on the cross so that we might live gloriously in you. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca, or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon. Thank you.